0: Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet sometimes called the reality management wake-up sheet and it's a tool i've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience i have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given from that page you can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one that uh, have examples of where people have called in and been stepped through the worksheet process. If you choose to listen to them on a regular basis, you can build the skills necessary to get maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over, 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 and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply the use of these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, I will then be able to turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code and we can have a conversation. If you happen to be calling, listening to this in the archives or calling but um, not wanting to raise your hand, you can send us a question through in a comment or a testimonial through an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get the comment or question from you through the email, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback and input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you, when we're choosing to read from one of the books we read and discuss or when we're choosing to have somebody do a worksheet process or we have a discussion about the powerful dynamics that allow these worksheets to be as effective as they are when any of those things are happening, um, if that's of greater benefit to you than others, please let us know. And we will endeavor to do more of that with the intention to be of service. So, again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Thank you for uh, being with us if you were able to be here yesterday we had technical difficulties on blog talk radio and we did our best to have a a session of mind shifters radio through the app which is available called Podbean. p-o-d-b-e-a-n and it's um it's quite a different system so there were some glitches in getting started and then we only had one or two listeners because people didn't know to reach us there and then there was quite a bit of a delay getting it the show that we did at least for the first hour uh, uploaded to the archives because um we've made the commitment to try to keep these shows archived so that people can access them after the fact and especially when we're doing work reading things from the Way of Mastery. And yesterday we had a support group, as we do on most Tuesdays, and the Way of Mastery was the topic again. We had a brand new person there who was been listening along to the Mind Shifters radio for the past couple of weeks and is enjoying the Way of Mastery. So we ended up listening to one of the old darshans from the Way of Mastery. And by way of explanation, that is a set of videos that I acquired back between 2011 and 2014 when the gentleman who channeled the Way of Mastery decided to do a series of video teachings about that work from his ashram in Bali. And I was fortunate enough to know about it in advance and pay the what I thought was quite a reasonable fee at the time, to get access to those videos and then to be able to uh, access them live and then get the recordings. So I have most of those. I I may not have every single one, but I have most of those that happened. I believe they happened at least once a week for three years. And um, as he went very carefully and slowly through the way of Mastery, He didn't do what I'm doing, which is to read every word of it and sometimes read it twice. He would read a word or a paragraph, sometimes just a sentence, and then go off on explanations, deep explanations about what might be meant by this and and how we might use these words to further our own spiritual path. And um, you know he 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 is the person who channeled the work. He is the person who has, um, as far as he is concerned, uh, been blessed with a direct channel to Yeshua, Jesus, in some people's reckonings. So there's a very rich interplay between his understanding and work with those words and the words on the page themselves that comes out in those darshans or those teaching lessons. So we listened to an hour of what would be the, uh, the equivalent of the first page of Lesson 9 in the Way of Mastery, which is titled, All Events Are Neutral. And you might be wondering, did I hear that right? Did he say he talked for an hour about just the first page of Lesson 9? And yes, that is correct. He talked for almost an hour and didn't leave the very first page. Maybe he didn't even, I, I know for certain, he didn't even read every word on the first page of Lesson 9. So that's the kind of deep dive we did and sometimes do in the way of mastery in the support groups. And the kind of thing that is happening here again this year, it happened in the year 2022 where we went through all of the lessons in the way of mastery with commentary, slowly, carefully, sometimes repeatedly. And we're doing that again this year. So comments, questions, answers are welcome Even if we're in the middle of reading, you're more than welcome to raise a hand or submit an email, and we will do our best to address those in a timely fashion. Um, We had a brand new person in the support group last night. We never know when that's going to happen. We're always uh, grateful whenever anybody chooses to join us, just like in the Internet show, as they say in beginning of most of these shows. We're grateful to everybody choosing to join us. And we're always curious about how did you find us? What what got you started on this path, and what was it that led you to either this Internet show or the support groups when that happens? So, again, if you're kind of um, audience shy and you don't want to call in, feel free to send us an email letting us know how these things are landing for you and or how you got interested in or introduced to this work either the internet show or the support group the um the benefit that comes from this work comes from applying the tools that are offered it doesn't really come from just the entertainment factor it doesn't the the benefit i derive doesn't come from simply reading the words on the page. The deep benefit that I achieve with this work is stepping into experiences that help me experience myself and the world around me very, very differently. And when I understand that the primary teaching from the way of mastery is that every one of us creates our own experience of life. Every one of us is choosing the mind energy that we use in every moment that is the mechanism that creates our experience of life. Then we can wake up and realize that if we don't like something we're experiencing in any given moment, we have the opportunity to change it in that next moment. So that's essentially what we were talking about yesterday when we were reading lesson 13 which happens to be the first the first lesson in what they call the second book in the way of mastery. The way of mastery itself, the big blue book, is a combination of three books. The way of the heart, the way of transformation, and the way of knowing. And as we left off yesterday in the reading, we were reading. All right, wait a minute. I think I'm here in the middle of a traffic jam. I think I'm sitting in a car and nowhere else. I think I've been under the influence of this road rage. And and the the teaching in the book says no, none of that's true. And you're free at any moment to wake up and realize. Quote, oh, that's right. I'm not in a traffic jam. There is no such thing as a traffic jam. Everything is perfect. There is just a giant weaving together of experiences of infinite souls. So while I sit here in this little car at one level of reality with this funny little thing I call a body in one level of reality... I'm going to be Christ. I'm going to tap into the Christ mind. I'm going to tap into what's going on around the edges of my awareness. I'm going to ask myself to be shown what's going on around the edges of the physical five senses. We call the physical senses. And I will feel the thoughts of anyone that I choose to feel. And I will direct attention to them. And from the depth of my being, I will direct love to them. I can choose to be the truth of who I am. The red light, the automobiles, all jangled together, these things do not create my experience. My experience is flowing from within. It is being extended outward. I had a a notification this morning about a um a YouTube video a short YouTube clip from Guy Finley and it's the secrets of spiritual success and this critical secret of of spiritual success is just what this says my experience is flowing from within it moves From within to without, everything about life, a flower doesn't grow because of something going on outside of it. It grows because the seed germinated. Inside the seed, the energy was received and starts moving and expanding outward. Everything about your experience is coming from inside you. It's the interaction of these outside events you might call energies hitting your senses and how that interacts with what you're choosing as a way to interpret and respond to those events, it's that process that creates your experience. In Lesson 13, the first lesson in the way of transformation, the text goes on. The next section is titled, Only You Have the Power to Create Your Experience. The text reads, listen carefully. No one has the power to create your experience. No one has the power to limit your experience. And nowhere in the laws of creation has it ever been written that you must conform your experience to the choices made by another. You remain free you remain free to freely choose to be the embodiment of Christ you are the one who can choose to bless creation it begins when you are willing to assume responsibility for what you want to use time for what purpose are you going to choose to use time to accomplish The next paragraph reads, in truth, you do it anyway. You're always using time for exactly what you are choosing. You are not surviving. You are not trying to get things done that the world is requiring. Nothing, never is anything occurring except that you are having awareness of the effects of how you are choosing to use consciousness, and that is all. Now that line, you know, there are so many lines in this book where if you understood that line completely, you wouldn't need the rest of the book. This is saying that existence, your awareness of your existence in a body is driven by the system that's set up and the way you're interacting with the system. The only thing that's happening is that you are having awareness of the effects of how you have chosen to use your consciousness, and that's all. I talk to people about trauma, I studied trauma for years. And we talk now, you know, people who studied trauma for a long time talk now about the trauma isn't the event that happened. We People talk about a trauma, a traumatic event. And those who work with trauma and help people resolve the effects of past trauma don't usually talk about the trauma. They talk about an event that occurs and they talk about What are the thoughts and beliefs and energies that the person experiencing that event downloads to themselves? And it is that that constitutes the energies, the trauma, the experiences, the the continued effects of past trauma. It doesn't come from the event. It comes from what the person, the individual, downloaded about the event and some would say it comes from the meanings they have created about themselves from interacting with that event so any event that i'm 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 just too little long in my life i'm skipping down the sidewalk i'm living my life happy in this body and i have a set of beliefs about life about my safety in the world and what's dangerous and who i can trust and i have that that's my world view Any event that happens during which or after which I change some of those fundamental beliefs about myself and my role in the world, my safety, etc., that can be said to be a traumatic event because of the fact that during or after that event, I questioned or changed, radically changed Something about the way I view myself and view the world and my role in the world and my safety, etc. And it doesn't really matter what the event is. All that matters is, what am I making of it? To illustrate that point, I talk about the Oreo cookie trauma. Imagine, if you will, we have a set of identical twins, five years old, and they've been raised in a very good family. And... The only significant difference mentally emotionally in these two is that Johnny spends a lot of his time and energy from the time he gets up in the morning to the time he goes to sleep at night thinking about how lucky he is to have a mother who never lies to him, who always tells the truth, and he can trust whatever she says. Jimmy, identical twin brother, never really focuses on that too much, doesn't really care about it, doesn't think his mom's a liar, but doesn't really think about it much. These two boys come home from kindergarten one day with their backpacks on, and they see on the family room table, they see a a plate of Oreo cookies. Johnny calls out, hey, Mom, can we have a cookie? Remember, I already said this is a very good family. They've been raised well. And she says, boys, you know the routine. Go upstairs, unpack your backpacks, wash your hands, put out your homework, and wash your hands and come down, and then you can have a cookie. So the dutiful boys that they are, they march upstairs, and while they're up there unpacking their backpacks, maybe doing a little rough housing, maybe whatever, washing their hands, the teen and preteen kids in the house and their friends come through like, you know, human vacuum cleaners and eat all the cookies. <sighs> Stifling a sneeze. Johnny and Jimmy finish washing their hands and head for the downstairs. They get about three steps from the bottom and, uh, of the stairs, and Johnny looks across and recognizes the fact that the, somebody ate all the cookies. And in that instant, Johnny's mind says, my mom lied to me. And Johnny's life is never the same. It doesn't matter what happens after that point. It doesn't matter if she gets in the car and drives to the store and buys another box of cookies for him. The trauma happened. The shock to his system. Jimmy, never so focused on that, doesn't miss a beat. He says, hey, mom, they ate the cookies. Can I have a piece of candy or an apple? No trauma for Jimmy trauma for Johnny. And while this might seem oversimplified and even silly, it's important to recognize that it provides us a very useful roadmap for working with trauma, for understanding what it is that needs to be resolved when we're working with ongoing effects of past trauma that's almost exactly what's being said here in the way of mastery we are not experiencing traumas we are experiencing the effects of our choices about how we will interpret and respond to the events in our lives There is just so much really good, powerful stuff in the way of mastery that relates directly to the way we live and process our energies, our emotions, our thoughts. And this is just another one. There is no effect I'm experiencing that doesn't come from my choice about how to interpret and respond to the flow of life. I know that's not how most of us have been raised. I know that that creates all kinds of ripples of upset in people who are first being exposed to this. I know that for most of us, the The immediate response is, oh, so you're telling me it's all my fault and I'm to blame and I'm guilty of this or that? And yet none of that is contained in these observations. The only thing that's contained in these observations is, within a given moment, there's only so much that I have control over. I have control over my mind energy and where i choose to focus it and that's a creative power in my life in that moment and if i choose to use it one way i create upset i create drama and trauma here's another example i took my son's age 12 and 13, I took them, or 13 and 14, I took them to on a trip, seven-hour drive, eight-hour drive. We had a nice van. They had their music to listen to. My mother, their grandmother, was in the car. We drove for about three hours, and we stopped for gas. We, we had a, this is a very good situation. They have. We had the money to take a trip like that, We had the money to go in and get food and snacks. We have the money to have the nice van in the first place. We're going to visit family. It's supposed to be a fun experience. We use the restroom. We buy some snacks. They each get a drink. They're back in the van. I get in the van and the van won't start. Now, what do you think these two teenagers' response is? Oh, my God, this is ridiculous. This has ruined everything. We'll never get there in time. The whole trip is ruined. I quickly assess that there's a problem with the starter, that there is battery, but the starter is defective. My sons are going off the deep end in these negative interpretations about this event i take a breath i turn to them and i say boys listen it's fine this is the best of all possible outcomes if the starter had to go it goes here at the gas station it goes where you've got access to a bathroom and you've got access to more drinks if you want and you can go take a walk there's a nice little town we're in and It's a sunny day. It's not freezing cold rain or snow or sleet. There's nothing to be upset about here. You can actually take the very same data points that you're using to get upset about and rearrange them and say, wow, how fortunate we are. Again, just another example that popped into my mind about how we didn't have any control about whether the car started or didn't start. We didn't have any control about where it was going to to decide to fail. We did have the option to look lovingly upon whatever unfolds and use the power of our choice to direct our mind energy to thoughts that leave us feeling gratitude and appreciation or thoughts that lead us to feel upset and resentment and hurt and bitterness. So, back to the text. The last sentence I read was, Never is anything occurring except that you are having awareness of the effects of how you are choosing to use consciousness. And that is all. The text goes on and says, Here's where the way of transformation begins. Ultimately, It is also where it ends. But the difference will be that you will no longer even want to choose anything that speaks of limitation. So here at the beginning of the way of transformation, we're still in the habit of choosing thoughts that speak of limitation, just like my sons in that example, just like little Johnny in the example of the Oreo cookies. He chooses the thought this lack of cookies means my mother lied to me and my world's never going to be the same. We get the effects of the thoughts we choose and pour our mind energy into. And at the beginning of the way of transformation, we're still in the habit of choosing these negative thoughts. We're in the process of catching them and switching to something that's more uplifting gratitude-based, loving, positive, etc. At the end of the way of transformation, the only difference is we won't choose any thoughts that speak of limitation. We still have the choice. They may still flash through our mind from time to time, but we won't value them. We won't identify with them. We won't pour our mind energy into them as though they have value. The text goes on and says, even though the body-mind that you once identified as yourself, the body-mind still seems to be moving about in space and time. You will not even look at that body-mind and say, it is mine. You will simply say, the body-mind is a temporary communication device brought forth from the ocean of my unlimited self, capital S, self. It's happened as I have done this a multitude of times in a multitude of universes. What's the big deal? There's no big deal to the body-mind. It's simply a, unic- a, a communication device. It's not my essence. The text goes on and says, your consciousness will literally shift. It will take a new perspective. And you will know that you are pure spirit, capital S, spirit. You will know that you do not abide in time at all. You will know that you can simply delight in utilizing the body-mind as a communication device. And when you get on your airplane and you travel some distant shore to a place that you are enjoying being in, you are still using the body-mind as a communication device between you and the earth, between you and the other creations that have come forth from other minds. Whether it is a beautiful building or a beautiful painting, all that you are ever experiencing is something that you have drawn to yourself through the medium of the body. It is an experience, and that is all. You are the unlimited one who is in the driver's seat. And this starts to make sense of, here's another sidebar, of a person like Roger McGowan who was sentenced and then spent, I think, 26 years on death row in a Texas prison for something he didn't commit. And instead of getting embittered and depressed and rageful and wanting vengeance and retribution, he chose to become a spiritual teacher. And if you want to read his story, there was a book written by Pierre Pratervand titled Messages of Life from Death Row and here's a person in some of the most difficult, unpleasant, negative, abusive re- constraint sets that anybody experiences on this continent. The the prisons in Texas are notorious for being abusive, and in those situations he has chosen for love. He's chosen for peace. He's chosen for compassion. He's chosen for gratitude because at a very deep level, he realized he is the unlimited one who is in the driver's seat. So I'm just taking a breath into that. I know what some of this sounds like. I know at, at different levels how privileged most of our lives are certainly how privileged my life has been and i have met a lot of pushback over the years when i've been teaching or reading or sharing some of these teachings where it talks about how you're creating your experience of life and the gratitude and choose for love etc and people come in a rage saying You know, how could you apply this if somebody's in prison? How could you apply this if somebody's lost their child? How could you apply this if, fill in the blank, horrible things are happening? And I don't profess to tell anybody how to live their lives. I do look for stories like Roger McGowan's. I do look for stories like this teacher that i heard on another website where she goes into the women's prisons and she told the story of seeing a woman there and then she was gone for several weeks and she came back and the woman had had her twins she had been pregnant with twins and when this teacher came back the twins were gone And she's sitting there next to this woman, and she recognizes that she's had her twins. And she said, how was it? What happened? And the woman tearfully told her about how, yes, she did give birth to twins, and they only allowed her 30 minutes to be with them, and they took the twins away. And now she's still in prison, and her twins are who knows where, being raised by who knows who. And in that setting, that woman benefits from this kind of teaching Not to say that it's her fault and she's to blame and she's guilty for what she did and that's why her kids are taken away. Simply so that she can understand, given this situation in this moment, what do I have control over? How do I create my experience and what kind of an experience do I create if I focus on thoughts of anger and bitterness and hurt and depression and hopelessness? And what do I create? If I focus my energy on things I have control over and learning from the choices I made in the past that helped me end up in this situation, staying focused on the things I have control over now, learning how to pick up the tool of response ability so that when a similar situation arises in the future, I have the ability to respond differently That only happens when one wakes up and realizes that one is the unlimited one who is in the driver's seat in their life for their consciousness and what they choose to do with their consciousness. So the next segment of this lesson, and I'll just go into this, Segment and however many there are, I may not even get through this this whole segment. But there's an exercise here. There's a there's a thought about how can I bring awareness. This is the title of the next section: bringing awareness to the limiting definitions of yourself. So the first stage of the way of transformation is to recognize that you choose what you do with your consciousness and that creates your experience of life. The second stage in the way of transformation requires that you begin to bring awareness to what they're calling the little squiggly lines that you have drawn on the white and unlimited and perfectly unblemished canvas of your consciousness. So, you start out consciousness, completely unlimited, perfectly whole, unblemished, and your consciousness draws lines, creates images, creates experiences, the text reads, your psychologists would call these personalities or masks. And we are inviting you to be aware, come into the awareness, practice looking at, uncovering, discovering the little selves you have created, these ideas that you've identified with. And this is what they suggest. Begin to ask yourself some questions. Such as, what am I defending? What am I continuing on a daily basis that no longer fulfills me? After all, I've been here. I've done that. How might I look upon these little cells, these little drops of foam on this temporary wave that I've brought forth? How might I use them differently? I wonder... If I could create a brand new sense of self, a brand new set of squiggly lines, the question is, why is that important? And the answer is, because the squiggly lines you have drawn, for instance, perhaps you would say to yourself, quote, well, I am Mary Jane I am a vice president at a bank. I was born in such and such a city. My parents are so-and-so and and so-and-so, and I would really be different except for the fact that my sister used to beat me up when I was young, close quotes. The text wants us to know that the very Moment, The second you, divine, you define yourself, you constrain yourself within the parameters that you have chosen to value. Instantly, you create exactly the experience of the vibrations that are the effects of those lines you've drawn, of those squiggles, of those thoughts you've identified with. Think of those squiggles, the parameters of a little self, as the effect of certain pebbles that have been dropped into the pond of your consciousness. The thoughts that you've intentionally or accidentally given value to. And once you draw those lines, once you value those thoughts, it sends out energies and they create effects. From the lines you draw, from the thoughts that you value, certain effects flow from it. What if you were to decide to create a self, an image of yourself, that sees itself as perfectly unlimited? Instead of saying, quote, I have to go see my sister. I know she used to beat me, but that's just the way it is. It's just who I am, close quotes. Instead of that, you simply sit back and say, "Quote. I am a perfectly unlimited being, and I think I will create a self who is an expression of the unlimited love of Christ. I'm going to see this human being. Parentheses. You might use their name, but do not call them your sister. Close quotes. Close parentheses." I'm going to see this person, and I'm going to utilize time for beaming as much love to them as I can, for no other reason than it will feel good to me to do so. I am the embodiment of Christ, and though this one may not know it, it does not matter. I can enjoy being the embodiment of Christ anytime I choose. Close quotes. Do you see how that could begin to move you beyond an identification of a certain definition of yourself? That identification, that definition that has actually locked you into a narrow set of parameters and those parameters can only have certain kinds of effects? What if you were to sit down with those people you call your parents and deliberately choose to look at them as beings that you had to call into your field of awareness? What if you chose to see that they are infinite and free beings in perfect equality with you? They simply chose to receive your cosmic telegram and they took on a certain role in space and time to help you play out what you wanted them to play out so that you could learn what you wanted to learn would that begin to shift your identification with them as merely your parents? For if you look upon them and say, those are my parents, instantly you have defined yourself as only their child. Do you begin to see the significance? So, the next paragraph says it is very comma very important and i've learned in this book they don't say anything lightly it is very very important to bring awareness to the definitions you have given yourself And those definitions, especially those definitions that you keep insisting upon each and every day. Because as you keep insisting upon these definitions and reinforcing them day after day, it's like dropping the same little pebble into the same stream and creating the same effects. And nothing gets transformed. This is the way of transformation. They already said, How can you transform something if you will not change what you're doing? How can there be transformation if you continue to use your power of creation the same way over and over and over again? The answer, of course, is it can't change. The quote that's been attributed to a number of people, Freud and Einstein and all kinds of other people have been attributed. This quote's been attributed to a lot of great minds throughout the years. And the quote is, one really useful definition for insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Because if you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to keep getting the same thing you've always gotten. So the way of mastery from the beginning of the first lesson has been calling us to childlike curiosity about our own thought processes, our own hierarchy of values, what do you keep doing over and over again, whether it's anger, whether it's fear and anxiety, whether it's negative depressive thoughts, whether it's joy and gratitude practice, what you do over and over again, whether you think it's an automatic outside your control process or not, whatever you're doing on a regular basis defines what you value. And so here, in lesson 13 from The Way of Mastery, the first lesson in The Way of Transformation, is the strong invitation with the admonition that this is very, very important to actively assess what is it that you keep identifying with. What is it in thoughts about yourself that you keep valuing? Do you keep saying, "Well, I'm just unlucky in love." Do you keep saying, "Well, you know, I'm just not good with money." Do you keep saying, "Well, I'm just have a depressive or or a, um an addictive personality." What is it that comes perhaps even unbidden into your thoughts over and over and over again. And then the next question for observation is, what do I do when that arises? Do I just think, well, that, that's my thought, that must be the truth? Please, at least give yourself the gift of experimenting with living in the question. Please choose to question Everything you think, everything you know, everything you think you know, and everything you want, question it all, especially when there's any level of upset in your mind-body-energy system. This was part of that short YouTube thing that I talked about earlier, which is from Guy Finley, where he said, you know, this this deep spiritual secret is the recognition that life begins inside and extends outward. And any time I have any upset going, instead of saying, I know why I'm upset, if I'm upset, I don't know what's going on. And the more upset I have, the more anger I have, the more tension or fear I have, the more it indicates I don't see the truth of life in this moment. I'm looking at veils and distortions, judgments and interpretations. And the way out of that is to learn to move into the question. What is it I'm not understanding about this situation? What is it that I might learn from this that I don't see right now? How is it? that this situation is presenting me a teaching moment that I need to be able to move forward in my life. Lesson 13 in the way of mastery, lesson one from the way of transformation, is throwing the door wide open and inviting us to engage a practice of inquiry about Our mind energy, our thoughts about ourselves, the ways we define ourselves, whether we're conscious of it or not, dig around in the consciousness, get input from other people, take a look at the patterns of things that keep coming up in your life, get curious, get lovingly curious. I just want to take a take a breather here, and with the few minutes we have left, I want to put it in the recording and uh, say this for the few people who are on the call already that two days from now on Friday the twenty third we're going to have two guests on the phone live if all goes well if the technology holds up, David Gruder and his wife Lori Morris. And these two are the hosts of a podcast called The One Thing, or T-O-T. And The One Thing is their acronym, T-O-T is their acronym for what you might call God, Light, Love, Creation, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. The One Thing, since they're drawing on perennial wisdom, that says All of creation is connected. And there is only one thing going on here. It's a thing we call life. And you can call it any other name you want. It doesn't change it. It's the flow of creation. It's everything and everyone. And they have a podcast about that. And when I listened to several of the episodes, I recognized that there's... A lot of overlap, and so in the interest of looking at the very same tools, principles, and observations from a variety of different perspectives, I have, from you know, Dr. Michael Rice's teaching years ago, learned that the more different angles from which I can look at a per, a, a situation or a perspective the more quickly I will understand it at deeper and deeper levels. And so in honor of that, I have invited Dr. David Gruder and his wife Lori to join us the day after tomorrow. And as my grandmother would say, God willing and the creek don't rise. And the blog talk radio technology continues to function will be here on Blog Talk Radio for a discussion with Dr. Gruder and his wife Laurie Morse. I encourage you to join and or bring a friend and or listen to the archives if it records successfully after that show and then offer us feedback. There were Several podcasts of theirs that I listened to, one of them was on how evil is an inside job, and what the process is for identifying and dismantling evil and um and you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts t o t or the one thing podcast and um as i like to say feedback is welcome so tomorrow will be a thursday we'll have another support group um I thank you all for being here and I will simply remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I will hope that Jeannie Rice is ready for (laughs) to turn on her microphone. Hello, hello, hello.
1: So thank you for all your work yesterday.
0: Yeah, well, sort of normal. Thank you for all your work yesterday <laughs> and getting that up and running. And um, I'm not sure I quite understand it, but you said that yesterday's recording through Podbean is now available through the Blog Talk archive?
1: Yes. Yes, what I did was on the um, on our website, uh, why again, if you click on the uh, radio show where the archives are, what I did was um, I pulled the recording down of the first hour and I took out the first part of it where we were testing and trying to make it work and everything. I took that part out and I have fixed the link so that if you're on our website and you click on the uh, microphone and go to the archives for yesterday, the links will actually take you over to Podbean um, where the edited recording is. And uh, so you can pick that up and Michael's going to pick up and do the second hour part again today because it just didn't seem to go through and my computer kept shutting down and couldn't hear me on the microphone and it was just so many things going on. But uh, then also I uploaded that same uh, MP3 of the first hour to like if when you are in um, Blog Talk's studio, you know, where it's got the audios over on the right-hand side, I also put the first hour up there. So I didn't know if you'd want to download it from there or download it from the website, but I, I thought you might want to put it where you're putting your other archives for your reading. So it's, I've Excellent. got it in Thank both you. of those Thank places. You.
0: Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it. It's a lot of extra work, and I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: You are welcome. So, All right.
0: Have a wonderful show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Pugh. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio and today is Wednesday, February the 21st, 2024 and their call-in number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to get dialed in and hopefully everything will be back to normal and we'll have uh, um, the show recording on both Blog Talk and Podbean. And I think I have gotten all of the archives for the Enlightenment show. Uh, if you go to Enlightenment Study and click on it, and that's where I've been putting all the archives. I think I've got it all back up to date and uh, going again. There were a couple of days that was just a little bit crazy, but... Anyway, hopefully we are back on track, and uh, the second hour of yesterday we did not do because, like I said, my computer kept losing Internet connection, and when it would do that, it would shut out the recording, and and uh, for some reason my microphone wasn't sounding out. Nobody could hear me when I was talking, so it was just one thing after another. So Michael decided that he would start over again and today would read... Um, what he actually read part of it yesterday, and he said he would just start over since yesterday. didn't seem to be working right, and I'm going to just double-check with him that he's being able to get into blog talk fine. Are you getting into blog talk? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so he is dialing back in. It didn't let him go through the first time. Technology. It's definitely given me the opportunity the last couple of days to do some wake-up sheets around having technology do what I want it to do, <laughs> and uh, that is not always happening. But anyway, we're glad that you're with us today, and Michael has yes. joined us, so I am going to start both Podbeam and Talk and hopefully we'll get everything recorded today. Rock and roll.
2: We're getting through this technology stuff. It is a process. So welcome everybody. Delighted that you're here, and uh, Susan, if if you're here, I uh, hope that doing a repeat from yesterday will uh, enhance the brain cells for the whole conversation. I'm not sure whether Jeannie shared this, but yesterday we blog talk was down, and we worked on Podbean, but it was kind of a fiasco. So decided to just uh, cancel that whole recording and start over. So we are working with the Enlightened book, what we've published so far from the Aramaic. And if you're new to the show, this is show number, I don't know, 26 or 27. And so we've got some history, and Jeannie's got a special page set up on the website to, uh, to access this whole series that we're doing. And part of the series, or part of what I'm sharing in order to hopefully illustrate to people how to get into the mindset of the Aramaic, how to uh, get an attitude of mind going a la first century Aramaic instructions, for how to keep the mind on track with truth, and how to train the mind to support us living in actuality rather than living in the projections, the constructs of the mind. Well, that's basically where we're heading with this. And so I'm going to back up a little bit uh, from where we were the day before yesterday and just cover the last paragraph or two so we're in tune and then we'll just pick up from there. So I'm speaking to to, uh, Yeshua who's straightening out or giving us the tools for keeping the human mind in proper line, in, in proper operation. So in that conversation, I'm asking him about the, the way this whole thing works. What, what's the story? And he's explaining the mind. So he says the human mind can justify and rationalize anything it wants to or decides to believe or do. So remember, we've talked about the Harvard research. that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. So the nine-bit mind, or metaphorically we're calling it that, is a device that gives us constructs based on what we ask it for. When you're looking at nine bits of data out of 20,000 brain cells firing, you're looking at, or 10,000, pardon me, brain cells firing, you're looking at evidence, no matter how you cut it. And so basically what the mind will do is it will give you evidence for anything you ask it to do, and its evidence will be whatever it's been structured to feed back to you. So, you know, if you think about a computer and let's say I program the computer that 2 plus 2 equals 5. When I say 2 plus 2, the computer is going to swear up, down, right, left, center, that 2 plus 2 equals 5 because that's what it's structured to do. So if I'm in some sort of corrupt data state of hostility or fear, and I've trained my mind that if I'm in pain, somebody else is the problem. My mind is going to literally hallucinate, literally create a construct that will show me that somebody else is the problem in my life. And for the average person who lives in that space, it doesn't matter if they've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. The next time it happens, their mind will show them somebody else is the problem, and they'll actually believe it. And through it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And this mind will not be able to figure out, oh, every time it happened, I was there. Maybe this has got something to do with me. You've got to start asking the mind for different evidence. So what Yeshua is saying is there are laws. Remember that our definition of the word law here in the Aramaic is not the rule of a superior, as the Greeks would tell us but rather is simply an expression of the way things work. So what Yeshua is giving is the laws, the rules by which you govern your own mind. So he goes on to say, without knowing and following the rules to keep it on track, once the mind decides, only, the only evidence that it feeds and supports in its decision will be seen through the mind. It is capable of blocking truth totally when it does that, no matter how obvious a particular fact is. If it's inconsistent with the mind's decisions that, based on goals, that fact becomes invisible. So once I tell the mind to t- or instruct the mind to show me that somebody else has a problem, how do I give the- – I've never in my life said, mind, show me that somebody else is a problem in my life. So, Michael, that just can't be true. Have you ever said they made me mad? Well, yeah, I've got 100 people who know how to make me mad. Are you sure? Or have you given your mind the instruction that somebody else makes you mad, so your mind always hallucinates evidence that somebody else is the cause of your mad. Guess what? Every time you've been mad, you've been there. It's about you. And not until you collapse the lie that you've been told to project your anger into your brain's image of everyone else, until you get that back on track... When, and and in the laws of living, we used to teach a thing we called blockage of personal error. For those who were in laws of living years ago, this is, it's probably about 20 years ago, we had the insight that that was an error way back then. But in the early days of laws of living, when Dan and I first put together laws of living and uh, emotional maturity instruction, we had in there a phrase, blockage of truth or pardon me, blockage of personal error. And then the insight came of, oh, wait a minute, everybody sees their error perfectly. When I say you made me mad, I see that perfectly, and it is my error to think that you made me mad, but I see my error perfectly, but I call my error the truth. <laughs> so if I fill the 9-bit mind with a lie, I'm now living in blockage of truth i see my error i call it the truth and now the truth bounces off of me if you don't get the mind on track with that if you don't understand that and you know it's interesting that there are still people out there talking about well these old fogies in the desert they didn't know anything 2000 years ago oh listen if we only had a clue what that man taught if we had a clue i mean something as simple as this the mind is an evidential device. When the mind is giving you evidence, Yeshua spoke of it as appearances. He said, be careful. Don't judge by appearances. Got to get your mind back on track. So once again, the mind is capable of blocking truth totally, and when it does, no matter how obvious the particular fact is, if it's inconsistent with the mind's decisions, based on your goals, that fact becomes invisible. It cannot be seen. It will become your truth. So the mind will provide itself all the documentation it needs to make its conclusions justifiable, rational, and reasonable. The solution, Yeshua says, to this blockage of truth is honoring truth and following the protocol that I laid out. Remember, Yeshua gives this a protocol. The original title of this book was The 11 Most Important Words Ever Spoken. Why? Because it's a protocol for keeping the mind on track and teaching it to show you only the truth. Now, once you've got your mind showing you the truth, You still don't have an experience, you still don't have a live experience in the present moment through your mind. You only have the mind's replication, but if everything that the mind is feeding you is accurate, then the mind becomes a stepping stone into a live present moment. So Yeshua goes on to say, before the mind is used for anything, it needs this protocol, this methodology that will keep it on track to maintain its contact with truth. The mind is a wonderful servant, but a despicable master. In my answering to the lawyer, I gave the keys to keeping it in its proper place, that is, the mind. I was telling him the law and love are the mind's guide rails on the highway to reason. So the character that Yeshua was conversing with comes back with confusion. I don't understand. What do you mean law and love are the guardrails on the highway to reason? Your confusion is a natural step in the process you're going through. You are building the brain cells. That is, the understanding is being integrated into your mind that will allow you to reach a new level of comprehension. With each step, new clarity will come and you will get closer to the understanding of my inner teachings, the message I came to deliver. Confusion is a necessary part of the process because your human mind has been trained into the ways of the world. Once steeped in the world, because being based in fear is completely backward, it takes time to convert the mind back to the ability to see truth. This is the real meaning of conversion. It is not about bringing a person into a religion, but about converting the fear-based mind back to harmony with its original design, a love-based mind. Remember that all hostility or fear in the mind says that that mind is using corrupt data to produce its constructs. So in this transformation power, me, process of transformation, Paul spoke, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now you'll notice that we have people who specialize in our world today in making sure you are conformed to the world. One of the main circles in which you see that happen is education or, pardon me, what's called education, what often passes for education, that isn't education at all. Much of what we call our educational system is nothing but indoctrination, making sure kids' minds or the students' minds are conformed to this world. Oftentimes, theologically-based teachings are totally and completely about conforming them to the belief system of the church. Rather than the space for discovery and experiencing truth, no, we're going to feed it to you in words, and you better believe it. That's being conformed to this world. And what Paul was experiencing in that case was his own transformation and realizing that in order for that to to happen, he had to change the way his mind was working. So Yeshua goes on to say, to the fear-based mind, the teaching on love sounds great, but it's more like a foreign language than a possibility. The world, or secular mind, is converted back to truth, thought by thought. This is the issue that was being addressed in Isaiah when he said, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Hear a little, there a little. For with stammering lip, lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Yet they would not hear. So I pop in there as Yeshua presents this idea and say, certainly people would be delighted to hear directly from the crater. Doesn't make any sense to me that God speaks with stammering lips and another tongue. Why would that happen? Well, projection. It is not that the creator speaks with a tongue foreign to truth, but rather people have gone so far from truth that truth itself sounds like a foreign tongue to a mind whose God is hostility or fear. Now, how do you tell if your mind your your God is hostility or fear? When the stress is up and the chips are down, what do you turn to? Do you turn to hostility or fear based perceptions? Or do you turn to the presence of love? If you turn to the presence of love, then your mind has been converted. Nice work. But it's pretty rare in our culture, especially in the extreme states, states, and I'll own this for me too, that that old hostility of fear still lurks under the surface and it needs to be cleaned out. The brain cells to see it, Yeshua goes on to say, though it's in plain view, the key I gave is invisible. When you quoted my reply to the lawyer, you left out the single most important statement that I made in regard to the scriptures. So earlier we were talking about, you know, what's the most important passage? What's the most important um, key in this whole body of work that he's teaching? And, you know, the quote was, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The second is likened to it your neighbor yourself. So that was what was quoted back by this person who said years of training in scripture. Mm-hmm. And now Yeshua says, so notice that the key is in plain sight. I gave it to you. But then he holds him accountable. He says, you quoted my reply, but you left out the most important statement I made in regard to that issue. I was dumbfounded. I had heard and spoken his reply to the lawyer so many times I could quote it in my sleep, and I'm sure that I quoted it exactly as it appeared in the scriptures. I dared not utter my next thought. What are you talking about? And, as if he read my mind, which I'm sure he did, he made his point with crystal clarity. As the light of its meaning dawned on my mind, I was bathed in pure excitement. My most important words and the piece you missed were my next phrase. Quote, on these two commandments hang the law and all its prophets. This is the starting point for understanding all that I taught. And it seems that, as with many of my teachings, it's been well hidden. This is the protocol. And I did not tell people to love god or neighbor i said to have rakma this filter in your mind this gateway to keep it active and open so that love is present within you and upon that hangs everything i taught the urgency of understanding this instruction cannot be underestimated hidden why would you start hide the starting point <laughs> I did not say I hid it, I only said it was hidden. Strangely it's hidden right out in the open and blatantly, obviously if you have the brain cells to see it. I I I don't my world's words just trailed off, more confusion. Do you recall what I said to my disciples and to you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom? But to others in parables? And seeing that they might not see and hearing that they might not understand. I nodded. My point is hidden because the person who not yet met the criteria, the protocol for understanding the inner meaning of my words gets trapped in the first level, the outer meaning of my parables. They look for literal meanings in non-literal ideas and get lost there. I always spoke in parables, literal interpretations do not, indeed cannot capture my intended meanings. I used parables to escape the blocks, placed in the literal worldly mind to keep it from truth and to take people to the place where they could hear my deeper truths. Remember, without a parable, I did not speak to them. In my native language, Aramaic, my native culture, the word parable means parallel meaning. Your meaning, from the Greek, is close, para, beside, and bailing, to throw. To throw beside. The mind conformed to the ways of the world is only capable of hearing the outer, literal meaning of my teachings because it does not have the mindset, the brain cells, to understand the higher intended meaning. The meaning, throw beside, that, that literal lower meaning. I see your confusion It's perfectly normal at this stage of learning. Just so stay with me. It's time to build the brain cells for my deeper meanings. I was always taught that every word of Scripture was literal and true. I remember having the quote, "...all Scripture is given by inspiration of God." Pounded in my head. Fear. Well, no. Terror was used to reinforce the idea that everything was to be taken literally. No questioning allowed. Hell has been a continuous threat used to prevent questioning. That fear of being questioned is the behavior of an insecure, false authority. Those who do not truly understand cannot tolerate being questioned. And the level of violence in their threats betrays the level of their insecurity. The deeper the insecurity, the more violent are their threats. On the topic of your supposed scripture quote that's used to force belief in the scripture, would it surprise you to learn that the word is, in that quote, as in all scripture is given by inspiration of God, would it surprise you? to learn that that was added to the text? Check your history. It's not that long ago when the King James Version of the Bible was translated and all of the italicized words were added. I, I protest. No, not one. No one would dare to change one word of the Scriptures. Well, he says, in my native Aramaic, that's true. Any copy or rendering had to be letter-perfect. If one error was made, the scribe would have to begin the page again. This is just not so in the King James Version. Notice the difference in the meaning between all Scripture, the actual quote, all Scripture given by inspiration of God and all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word is, is not in the original text or meaning. It implies an authority that many words or ideas in the scriptures simply do not deserve. Notice just a little earlier in Timothy, the admonition, study to show thyself approved unto the creator, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A workman. This means there's work for you to do instead of leaving it all on my shoulders. Take note that the work spoken of here is rightly dividing the word of truth. I did not say swallow everything whole without questioning. That's an idea that has come from false authority, who seems to represent me but has not touched my real words nor done the work required to follow me. But in Matthew ten thirty-eight, I said, "And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me." I meant that you had to take up and bear—that is, your cross—do the work that you needed to do. I broke in and said, "I don't even know what that means. I don't know what you're talking about." Then he quoted Timothy one seven. God hath not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You are the light of the world and your light should be put on a candlestick to shine before men not hidden under a bushel basket. Satan in Aramaic is the resistor one who misleads that the children of the Creator are so defective that our Mother Earth cried at the thought of us being here is a cleverly woven deception taught by wolves in sheep's clothing. It yes. is a strand in the bushel basket designed to mislead us and keep, our light fr- keep the light from our own minds and blind us with darkness. It is the thought contrived to continue the fraud that we are terribly defective when we are told clearly in Genesis, Creator created man in his own image. And the Creator has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Both thoughts cannot be true. Read my lips. Either the Scripture is true, or the men teaching this deception, this doctrine, are true. These are the deceptions spoken of in the Psalms. For, lo, thine enemies make a tumult. And they that hated thee have lifted up the head, and they have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against the hidden ones. They have said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation. that the name of Israel, be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against you. These teachings are designed to make us forget who we are. Psalms eighty two We said, Deliver the poor and the needy, rid them of the out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in darkness. All of the foundations of the earth are out of course. Who are we, really? In Psalms 82.6, I have said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. Rather than buy into the fraud that keeps us smaller than the Creator designed us to be, being blinded by those who harp on the idea that you're a helpless sinner instead of one with a mind of power and love, I support you following what I offered, my actual words, when I acknowledge that you will do greater works than I myself did. My meaning is simple. And one the weak and the codependent don't want to hear. Take up your cross is to deal with, that is, removed from your temple whatever it is that you hold within you that keeps from doing what I said. And you must follow that lead. To follow me is to do what I did and live the life I said was possible for you to live. Those who harp on the idea that you're a a helpless sinner instead of one, as I said, with the mind of strength and power, do not want you to believe that you can achieve what I said you could. Greater works than me shall you do. Because I go to my Father you too must escape your perceptual mind and go to the actuality of the world where you will find the real source, your Father. I taught you how through a specific style of understanding to go to the Father. And so, Miss Jeannie, we're at about the halfway point and we're getting ready to tap into what people call the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, I just want to open the gate to see if anyone has any questions. or Is it making sense for everybody? Anywhere that you're seeing any conflicts that need to be resolved, questions? It would be natural if confusion were to surface. But do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anybody in the chat room that has a thought for us, Jeannie?
1: There are no hands up and no questions in the chat room and I'm really thrilled to see we've got six listeners on uh on air on Podbean, And they on say Podbean, your voice awesome. is coming. Yep. And they say your voice is coming through really clear, so that's good knowing the microphone's picking it up all right. Wonderful. So if anybody has a question, uh you can ask it in the chat room and I'll read it to Michael or press one if you're on Blog Talk, a hand will go up. Let me know that you want to ask something, or if you're in Blackhawks chat room.
2: Yeah, and or if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, if you call into the, the call-in line directly, you'll be listening to the show on your phone. The call-in number is 563 If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then if you push 1, that'll raise a hand in the control panel, and We'll know you want to talk to us, and Jeannie will introduce you. So if you have any thoughts, we would love to hear them.
1: Now we have a, a good hand up.
2: Time before we move. Great. Let's go for it.
1: And it's Miss Terry Woods. We haven't heard from her in a while. Oh, my goodness. Welcome. Welcome. Yes. Good morning. Long time. Um, Michael, <laughs> yes. several years. Um, Michael, are you reading from the Caburras?
2: Well, actually, let me clarify. So so we've published a book called Enlightenment from our translations of the Kavoris. That's the only work that's been published so far. So we started the study of that 27 or 28 sessions ago on the radio show. So jeannie has got a special page on the website for the archives of that. One of the pieces of work that I did, going back about 22 or 23 years ago uh, Dan McDougald and I were teaching a laws of living course which is a course we developed out of the Cavour's manuscript and during that that particular class which I've taught probably I don't know 60 times over the years during that particular class I had a a major like knockdown opening when I recognized the import of those words, for upon this hangs the law in all the prophets. And I started to write a book entitled The Most 11 Most Important Words Ever Written. And, in, and I've explained this earlier in, in one of the earlier sessions, if you go back and listen. But at one point, due to touching into some, as I was writing, some of the trauma of my own early childhood, I realized that this whole explanation was really about how, on a practical level, to end suffering. So what I did is I I, I pulled out my writing from The End of Suffering, which was originally called The 11 Most Important Words Ever Spoken, and started to read that. So we're in the process of reading that as part of our work with the Enlightenment book, which again is what we published so far from the uh, Kibors. I have not published this book yet. this is the closest I've come to publishing it and uh i'm I actually had set it aside uh several years ago due to a number of reasons and <laughs> Now, with pulling it back out, I'm back on working on it and uh, getting ready to publish it. But at this point, it is not published work yet, except in this audio uh, series that we're doing.
1: Okay, that that was my next question. Yes, yes, it did. I've been um, listening to the show for a couple of weeks now, two, three weeks, off and on, um, sometimes the first half, sometimes the second half, and... um, yeah, joined the uh, support group last night for the first time, which was lovely. Awesome. So, uh, jumping back into this work.
2: Well, delighted to have you here. Any questions along the way? We're delighted to have you step in and, and ask those questions. Uh, you're aware we have now the world's only forgiveness app.
1: I think I may have heard you mention that before. In a- Okay. May have downloaded, well, you know I'll, the worksheet will, process. Yeah.
2: yeah, if you just go to your uh, your App Store on your phone, whichever system you've got, and type in the words Heartland, one word H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic forgiveness. You can download the app free. It's a, an extremely private app. It only asks basically for one permission in order to use it. It doesn't ask if we can dial your phone or access your contacts or change your settings or do any of that stuff. It's just the simple uh, permission to allow it to use the Internet so it can function. And then when you do a worksheet you have the option of printing it as a PDF and of course to do that you have to save it somewhere so there is a second permission asked to, to uh, save that file if you want to save your work but otherwise there are no permissions so you know we realize that people put sensitive information into their worksheets and you can trust that you're the only one that's ever going to be able to find it or see it
1: Okay, yes I do believe I did download that app so I will uh, cool. peek in there and open it up Awesome, and yeah, when it it work, up- it's when it asks to save it it only saves it to your device nowhere else yeah
2: yeah it doesn't go to the cloud or anything it's just to your phone and if you if you want to start using it if you go to to our why again website whyagain.org why in the upper left hand corner there's a, little, a button that says start here if you click that Jeannie has done about what is it, about a thirty minute video on how to use the app. So that'll be a that'll be a good starting point to just I mean most you can do it and it's pretty intuitive, but you'll get the refinements by watching that thirty minute link under the start here on our website.
1: Yes, I'm there now. I see it. Very good. Cool. All right, well thank you. Thank you for all your guidance. Delight to hear from you. All right. I'm sure I'll be calling you with questions.
2: Please do, please do. That's that's the the most important part of the show is the interaction, the questions that help us to clarify and really open new spaces in, in our process. Because of course, this is you know we're here teaching what we're teaching as part of our process as well, and uh, together we all get to move forward in greater and greater ways. Yeah. So yeah, it's beautiful. Delighted you're it. with us. All right, Thank Derek. You blessings. Guys ready bye-bye okay Miss Jeannie do we have anybody else
1: there are no other hands up and no questions in uh, Podbean okay cool
2: so let's look into what the world calls the Lord's Prayer Um, there are notes on the website that you can access, and I'm actually going to run through those notes uh, as part of what we're doing so you get the the full import of what this set of instructions means. And when you go to the Aramaic, you find that it's not a prayer at all. But let me just unfold it along with the notes, so this will follow along you can access those notes yourself. So this rendition of the Lord's Prayer is not so much a translation as it is following the instructions Yeshua gave regarding prayer. The Aramaic language of Jesus is a right brain language. As such, it is unlike our left brain language, which attempts to capture literal meanings as though the actuality of a thing can be seized by words. Literal is not a word that can be attached to a right brain statement. Yeshua tells us, quote, pray in this way, not say these words. He specifically says do not recite and repeat. To recite and repeat means memorization coming from the head, the intellect, which defeats the purpose of prayer. Yeshua's instructions were that we should instead, quote, understand with the heart. Prayer in Aramaic is to set a trap, or translates to set a trap for God. To understand this Aramaic idiom, one must have some idea, not of translation, but of meaning. To set a trap for God is an idiom for becoming the space for, or becoming in tune with. In other words, he was giving us a pattern, not literal words to say to become the space where the love of God reflects or is trapped or captured and reflected into the world. To understand that, think about the TV antenna on your roof. It captures the signal from channel two, and if it's aligned properly and oriented properly, you get a clean picture and good sound. If it is out of alignment, then... The picture and the sound are compromised. Being called the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer at all, but a set of, set of instructions for how to align yourself. where in effect hold there's only one prayer, the result of which produces the cause of everything that's needed. Seek before the council you know, it's spoken of by the Greeks as the kingdom the counsel, the wisdom, and the love of the Creator, and everything else will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. What Yeshua is saying there, in effect, is become the space of love first, for out of that, all that you want will be, will come. Yeshua tells us he's not giving us words to repeat like drones, but a sense of the kinds of things that will produce the result of becoming that space which reflects love and produces a fulfilled life. He specifically says, and when you are praying, do not recite and repeat like the pagans. Their goal is to be heard for much talking. Do not be like that. For the Creator knows what is needed before you ever ask. He's informing us that prayer is not about having your list fulfilled. It's not about putting your order in the cosmic gift catalog. In essence, forget the list, become the space. He's giving, giving instructions for how to function as a true human being. He makes the point that we are offspring of one source, as he speaks of our Father, not his Father. The essence of everything that Yeshua taught is encapsulated in one set of words as he gives instructions in five categories that are needed. Five areas of attention to become the space of love on earth. One is acknowledgement. One is worship. And worship means to emulate. It doesn't mean get down on your knees. To emulate. If you wanna if you really want to be the expression you're designed to be, then align with and function out of the presence of love. One of the things we'll get into later in this is the Aramaic Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, once again, you don't have a, um, a set of, uh, or, pardon me, a nice philosophy. You have a set of instructions for how to align yourself to bring forward the highest guidance system that's within every one of us, but has been shut down by the world. So, first you have the acknowledgement, worship, and then acknowledgement, appreciation, then acknowledgement, forgiveness. And notice the acknowledgement that's in there. Our work, our part in the forgiveness process that heals and preserves the space of love in us. And then the final part, fifth part of that set of instructions is, once again, acknowledgement, appreciation and the request to keep us apart from error and be a receptive space for this presence of love. So what's been called the Lord's Prayer is a practical how-to of living as love. When spoken with the goal of attunement to our true nature, With sincerity and reverence, this set of words will help to empower you to be the space of love that is your essential nature, the being you were created to be. It is faithful to the instruction Yeshua gave and addresses the issues that need to be dealt with within our culture in order to produce the space of love that is so needed in ourselves, our homes, our country, and our world. So this that I'm about to share with you from from the book, uh, The End of Suffering, or the five most eleven most important words ever spoken, is not meant to be a translation. It's an interpretation adjusted for the difference in our culture compared to Yeshua's culture two thousand years ago. So we've Updated it to be, what, what would we need to hear in this culture to get a parallel meaning in a much more com- complicated world than he gave these instructions in 2,000 years ago? So the instruction set, not a prayer, but the instruction set, our eternal creator, parent to us all, who's in the realms of the unmanifest, teach us to honor, worship, and serve you. Now, what what who is the you we're talking about here? Ultimately it's incomprehensible. You know, to think that we can reduce and I think this is one of the reasons why, for instance, in the Hebraic language, you you can't speak the name of the Creator. Because to do that is to reduce it. And for us to, to attempt to comprehend the Creator I think is very much like an ant looking at a mountain with a ski resort on it, trying to understand skiing. It's like, just not going to happen. So teach us to honor, emulate, and serve the presence of love in the world. Let your counsel, your wisdom, and your love come alive in us. Attune us to and empower us to conceive of and understand the will that you've already created for us. And teach us so that we may give birth to its fruit. Implicit in that is the awareness that you have a purpose. Now, each of us is brainwashed by the world, and we're taught that our purpose is to be a good commercial servant. It's not your purpose. <laughs> And uncovering your purpose is a really important piece of work to do. We actually do a whole workshop called Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. That you renew and feed us daily with the presence of your love, the love of each other, and the food we receive is a gift we gratefully accept. Thank you for restoring us to abundance, teaching us to give as you give, and presence of love as you are the presence of love for both the just and the unjust. That's such a key because what this whole teaching is about is maintaining your human life above all. And you do that by following the protocol, Rachma gateway in the frontal lobes of the brain that do two things. It is the doorway through which love, your created spiritual essence, enters your form. Your form has its own understanding of who you are, a false self. Yeshua said that self has to die in order for us to live. And by taking up your cross, by taking up whatever is based in hostility or fear in your family, genetic, or your own personal or cultural experience, and removing those things is key being the space of love then comes appreciation again thank you for restoring us to abundance teaching us to give as you give and presence of love as you are the presence of love for both the just and the unjust that you forgive from us those realities that have been we have pardon me that we have engaged in that do us harm and do not belong in our humanness is another of your blessings we appreciate. We commit to responsibility and forgiving as to those painful realities that others trigger in us. To, To fall out of harmony with your love. That you are still there with us, being the space of love. That your love is always present no matter how far we fall no matter where we go, is a blessing we gratefully accept. Just a slight shift from lead us not into temptation, as the Greeks would tell us. That with your grace, you deliver us from our errors, and through your light, part us from darkness. is another blessing that flows from your divine presence. We receive each of these gifts with gratitude and praise, sealed in trust, faith, and truth. Amen. Amen. Oh, breathing with you. What I'm. Guided to do at this moment is invite you to get into a quiet space and let's go through this. So we've got the brain cells for it. Let's go through this now as a meditation. And so, if you would, I'm going to just invite you to take a couple of deep breaths, close your eyes, or if you're in a position where you can do that, where it's safe to do that. If you're driving a car, we're not wanting you to do that. Or listening to this while you're at the office or what have you, but if you're in a place where you can, I invite you to just close your eyes, get quiet. And one of the things that physics, physics is telling us is that space and time are irrelevant. They're really fabrications of the mind. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is to use your imaginative faculty. This is one of the spiritual faculties that, when strengthens, empowers us to live in actuality rather than be limited to what the constructs are, the perceptions of the mind. And I'm going to invite you to imagine that you breathe yourself back in time 2,000 years. Imagine that you're sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and you're not listening to my voice. Actually allow yourself to attune to this man that had the most phenomenal presence of love that any of us have ever experienced. Imagine you go back in time and you're actually sitting there comfortably listening as he gives you this set of instructions on how to be the space of love, how to pray. Remember again, the word prayer in Aramaic means to set a trap for God. Here are the instructions for how to orient and align yourself so that you literally physiologically incarnate in your form as love. Displacing and working through everything that would block that, and so I'm going to imagine actually to just take a couple of deep breaths. I'll take a couple with you, and then let's imagine we're sitting there listening to his voice, share these instructions. and you're sitting with his presence that knows these instructions so thoroughly that they just totally and completely energetically are received by every cell in your structure. Our eternal creator, parent to us all, who is in the realms of the unmanifest, teach us to honor, worship, and serve you. Let your counsel, your wisdom, and your love come alive in us attune us to and empower us to conceive of and understand that will which you have already created. Teach us that we may give birth to your fruit. That you renew and feed us daily with the presence of your love, the love of each other and the food we receive, is a gift we gratefully accept. Thank you for restoring us to abundance. Teaching us to give as you give and presence love as you are the presence of love for both the just and the unjust. And as you breathe, you might just take a moment now and think of anyone in your world or in the world at large that seems to be unjust. Can you Breathe into and presence love for that individual however ornery or despicable they might appear to be. Can you imagine yourself bringing love to your interaction with that individual? That's what this passage means. Because when you can do that nobody can take your human life from you again. If someone can allow, arouse rage, fear, hatred, vengeance in you, then they can blot out your human life by resonating that in you. If you do the work of forgiveness and you go inside yourself and remove those energetic patterns, then you will maintain your human life no matter what anyone does. Doesn't mean you have to lay down and take it. Doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. But to maintain your human life, you have to be aware of it and hold it in existence, in awareness with you, no matter what happens in your world. Then you are truly human. So once again, imagine yourself in that space where your true, powerful being as a presence of love is fully in expression in every cell of your structure. And in gratitude, in and even deeper than gratitude, in appreciation, thank you for restoring us to abundance, teaching us to give as you give, and presence love as you are the presence of love for both the just and the unjust. That you forgive from us those realities we've engaged in, that do us harm and do not belong in our humanness is another of your blessings we appreciate. We commit to responsibility and forgiving as to those painful realities that others trigger in us. When we are tempted to fall out of harmony with your love, breathe. That you are there with us, that you are here with us, being the space of love, that your love is always present no matter how far we fall, no matter where we go, is a blessing we gratefully accept, that with your grace, you deliver us from our errors. And through your light, part us from darkness. It's another blessing that flows from your divine presence. We receive each of these gifts with gratitude, appreciation, and praise. Sealed in trust, faith, and truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Deliver that love to the world through your form and have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.